All right, church, y'all ready for the word? If you're visiting, it only takes me about 15 minutes to preach. Like according to God's time, right? That, that, that's heaven time. Speaking in heaven terms. It'll be quick. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is always on time. It's always true. Father, we thank you for uh, just, just going before us and revealing Jesus in all of scripture, thank you that uh, you have left this scripture with us. It is the truth. It's a living document. It's in us. Father, thank you for allowing the people you have here this morning to, uh, to experience your great love and peace over them. You got that they would walk out of here differently than when they walked in. Because they've encountered Jesus, the one who is for them and loves them unconditionally. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's, uh, it's, it's to know and to believe. I, I referenced this earlier. It's not enough just to know that the Father loves you. We also have to believe it. We have to believe it. That's kind of hard to do sometimes. Would you agree? Because what we, well, we take our eyes off of him and we put it on our circumstances. And whenever you look at your circumstances, man, you know, right? I don't have to explain that. Everybody goes through stuff. But uh, I want to show you the way out. It's hope. And that's what we're here for. Amen. Romans 3, 21. We did this last week. It kind of got me started. It got me thinking about it. So I'll, I'll go right into it. But now, but now, that means like now, right now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You remember we talked about that last week? That now the righteousness apart from the law. Old covenant had to, had to uh, abide by the law in order to get things, for lack of better terms, right? In order for God to bless you, you had to keep the law. All of it. All of it. You broke one, you broke them all, right? But now, the Bible says, but now righteousness apart from the law. So in other words, apart from your actions, apart from you keeping the law, now there's a righteousness that comes to you. And his name, church, is Jesus. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. If you believe in Christ... He is the end of the law. Does that mean the law? Listen, what that means is it, he's the end of you trying to earn your way to God's favor. Does that make sense? Love that, man. All right. Even the righteousness of God through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified. Say justified. You know what justified means? Say it slow. Say it slow with me. Just if I'd never sinned. Yeah, I mean, I went to GHS and got that. They don't do that at few holes. Just if I, whenever you see that word, think about that. Just as, just if I had never sinned. You know why you can be justified? Is it because you never sinned? No, it's because Jesus. It's because the blood of Jesus was shed for you on your behalf. And so it doesn't mean, hey, uh, you just go and do whatever you want. You can sin all you want, man. That's what people are, are so afraid of, man. But you're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. Say redemption. That's a beautiful word, redemption. I wonder what redemption means. You guys know you were bought with a price. It wasn't some kind of 
money exchange. It was a blood exchange. And it was the blood of the perfect son of a holy God. And he did that for you because he loves you freely. Freely, by his grace. You've been justified freely. It means you can't earn it. Isn't that what freely means? If, if, if Sonny says, Sonny's Barbecue says, hey, you, you, you freely eat. You go, what are you thinking in the back of your mind? Do, do any of you guys think there's got to be a catch? That's how we treat our Father in heaven. So he says we've been freely justified, but in the back of our minds, we're like, well, there's a catch. Somebody has to pay for sin. God's up in heaven going. <laughs> he might not do all that, but he's up in heaven. And he's like, he's, he's like, Jesus paid for it. Freely justified. I love that, right? All right. Whom, oh, whom God set forth as a propitiation. We're going to get to that word in a second. By his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, not yours, his, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So, so God, he sent forth his son as a propitiation. So in the Greek, that word literally, in the Greek, that word means mercy seat. Mercy seat, right? Uh, relating to and appeasing, expiating, having placated or expiated force. Uh, propitiation used of the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. See that? So there's a Septuagint Bible, right? And that's Greek and Greek. So we know that the Old Testament was written in what, church? Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek, right? That's the original uh, uh, origins of the Bible. But there is a, a Greek version where, where it's, it's both, right? It's both. And so there's also a Hebrew Bible where it's both. But in both cases... The, this word propitiation is mercy seat, just like the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant. You guys know the Ark of the Covenant? Let's do this. Bert, Bobby, can you guys lift that? You can? Let's see. Put it over here. <laughs> do curls. What do you think, man? I don't know. Do dips. Got to get that back just right. Sarah, they might, they might, I don't want you to get hit with it. So this is a, um, a version of what the ark might have looked like, right? Back in the day. Right? Um... What's the purpose of the Ark of the Covenant? You guys know that the, the, the word for Ark literally means coffin, right? Coffin. What do you put in a coffin? Something that's dead, unless you've been watching Halloween stuff and they bury. That's the worst way. To, anyway, um, so it's, it's, a, it's the same word used. They, they, the Bible is it's Aron. It's when they bury Joseph, it says they put him in a coffin. Well, the Ark of the Covenant, the word Ark is coffin. It's the same word. Isn't that interesting? You put the law in that, in that coffin, and God says, cover it with the what? The mercy seat. Isn't that beautiful? He's like, put it, it's dead. Put it in there. Right? So uh, let's go to Exodus 25 real quick. Exodus 25. And they shall make an ark of, of uh, archaic wood 
two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and it shall make on it uh, a molding of gold rings all around. Now, overlay it with gold. This whole thing speaks of Jesus. If you've been coming here, you know that, right? So the whole thing speaks of Jesus. It's made out of archaic wood, which is wood that doesn't rot very well. It can last forever. Uh, that's a picture of Jesus' humanity, right? Overlaid with what? Gold. That's a picture of his deity, okay? So it's, it's the, the ark is a picture of Jesus. He's 100% he's man, and he's 100% God. Amen? So that's what this whole thing is about. Uh, it's a it's a picture of Jesus always has that was the whole intent of it so let's drop down to verse 16 and you shall put into the ark the testimony which I give you you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold now this is wood covered by gold but the mercy seat is pure gold are you with me pure it's just one big piece pure gold um and it gives you the thing all right verse 18 and you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work, you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. So the mercy seat covers this, right? And you got two cherubim, two angels. Have you guys ever seen a picture of, you kind of got it in your head, right? And they got their wings stretched. And their heads are looking where? Where are the cherubim's heads looking? Right here. In the middle, right? They're looking down, okay? Um... Verse 19, make one cherub at the end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. So the mercy seat, cherubim, one piece of gold, solid gold, right? Who would want that? I don't actually know if I would want that. <laughs> I'd be a little afraid. I saw some movies. Um, what are the cherubim there for? Why cherubim? Why, why are the cherubim there? Well, the first place in Scripture we see a cherubim is, anybody remember? Yeah, the garden, right? Genesis 3. Uh, so he drove out the man. Like God got in a car. You ever read the Bible like that? If God drove a car, what do you think it would be? One of them little Yugo? Tesla? <laughs> uh, he could charge it himself. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Who's the tree of life? Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life right so there's two trees in the garden of eden there's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil we have done studies in here where we know that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the what it's the law the tree of life is jesus right you got grace and you got the law in the in the in the garden well when man sinned and they got kicked out well guess what now there's a cherubim guarding the entrance with what a sword, right? So the law first mentioned, this is the first place in Scripture you see the word sword, okay? And it's used to keep people out from getting, to, getting back to the garden, getting back to the Holy of Holies. You guys see it? Where is the last place sword is mentioned in the Old Testament? Well, it's found in Zechariah 13.7. The first place it's used to guard, the last place it's found is, Awake, O sword, against my 
shepherd, capital S, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd. Who is the shepherd? Who's God's shepherd? It's Jesus. So the first place we see the sword is it's guarded so we can't get back in because of sin. The last place we see it, right before we go into the New Testament, is what? That sword was put into Jesus. He took the sword. He took the punishment. He took it so, so, so we wouldn't have to. So that sword was plunged into Jesus. Amen? The spear was put into Jesus. Uh, and, and, and the sheep were scattered when that happened. Don't you remember when, when Jesus died on the cross, the sheep were scattered? Uh, then I will turn my hand against the little ones. That's not children, okay? When you look at it in the Greek uh, that, or, or in the Hebrew, that is uh, the leaders, right? The Pharisees. Did God turn on the Pharisees? Why? Because they were bad? No. Because they were good? No. Because they rejected Jesus. Right? So that shepherd here, the last place you see sword, it's because that sword was put into Jesus. Amen? And that's why, we, that's why the cherubim are there. The cherubim were there that if anybody tried to get back in, it would be based on them. And, and, and do you think that would ever happen? No, because they had to be perfect. Anybody perfect but Jesus? That's why Jesus took the sword. Because he's the only one that could do it. Amen? Everybody with me? All right. Leviticus 16, 14 says, He shall take some of the blood. This is the high priest. When they, when they sacrifice something on the mercy seat, they take some of the blood, right, of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. East side. East side. Yuck. No? <laughs> you know, my mind works like that, right? Like some, I just, when I think it, I say it, and I shouldn't. Thanks for not saying amen. He sprinkles it how many times? You guys know? It says in another course. Yeah, yeah, no, no, on the mercy seat. One time. One time on the mercy seat. You know why? Because that's all it took for Jesus. One time on the cross. Amen? Why seven times down here? It represents his perfect standing. Seven is perfection. So in other words, when we come to God now, we got to know that we come and we stand judged righteous, that we're perfect. Because all this points to what Jesus would do for us. And now he has done it, right? We're looking back. So they had no, they didn't have the luxury of looking ahead. We can look back and say, my God. Gosh, this is all about Jesus and what he did for me. So the, the priest would do that seven times because that's perfection. In other words, he's standing in perfection. Church, if you've been saved by Jesus, you are perfected forever. You can't lose it. Isn't that nice to know? Did you grow up thinking that some pastors were telling you, hey, you can go to hell. You can still go to hell. The devil can still snatch you. If you're smoking a cigarette when you're driving and Jesus comes back, you can't go to heaven. I'm like, where the heck? Where's that in the Bible? You ever get mad at religion? Where's that in the Bible? <laughs> As if cigarette smoking is different than cussing or lack of faith. How many of you guys know lack of faith is a sin? Like God, God doesn't have these, these uh, felony categories of sin. That's a felony too right there, bro, right? God doesn't do that. He doesn't have a misdemeanor sin. Sin is sin to God. And all sin is paid for. All of it is. Whew. Let's keep going. 
Exodus, back to Exodus 25. All right, and the cherubim. Now, now, we know, now we know what they were in the Bible, right? They're what they represent. And the cherubim uh, shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another, because they're facing this way, right? They're, they're talking about their bodies. They're facing that way. Uh, and uh, the faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. In other words, they're looking at the blood. They're looking at the blood. The, 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 the God's holy uh, beings are looking at the blood. They're, now, they're normally looking at the law, right? But the law's in here. But once the blood's on top of it, they're looking at the blood. And, 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 and they can't see one thing they cannot see through is blood. A blood sacrifice. Perfect lamb. And so they can't see where we broke the law. They can't see the, where the people of God, when they bring those sacrifices, where they broke it, where they failed. You know why? Because there was a blood sacrifice. And those angels looked down. And what does God say about that place, right? Uh, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. You. And there, there, where? There, where? There. <laughs> Where's there? On the mercy seat. That's where God would talk to them, on the mercy seat. Isn't that beautiful? You guys know what's in the mercy seat or what's in the uh, ark? We did this before. We got Aaron's staff, right? Aaron's staff was uh, the one that budded even though it was dead, and it showed that he was the true priest, the high priest that God wanted, right? You got that jar of manna. That's been, it's really oatmeal now. I have this in here because it tastes like cake, it said. And you got the two tablets. Right, Bert? Two tablets. So God says, put the two tablets in there and call me in the morning. No, he said, put it all in the coffin and cover it with what? The mercy seat. Now, you remember the verse that said he's our propitiation. He's our mercy seat, right? We are covered by the blood of Jesus. And now, we, God, can, God doesn't see where we break the law. He doesn't see where we can't keep up and do the right thing. He knows we can't, but he sees us covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's a great place to be. I wonder if anybody did this, right? What's up, God? Because that's where he meets with you. That would be a little disrespectful. Back then, amen, there's no more. How many you guys know there's no more art today? They found it. Did y'all see Indiana Jones? Look at this, 2 Corinthians. That, that, this is a beautiful verse. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Say world. The world to himself. Listen, God doesn't need to be reconciled to the world. The world needed to be reconciled to God, right? And God did that. God did it. How did he do it? Through Christ. Uh, not imputing their trespasses to them. Think about what that verse says now. Think about it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. What does that tell you? Most of us read it like God was, was, uh, was reconciling the church to himself. But it says the world, cosmos, right? That, that means even the lost people have been reconciled. They just don't know who did it. And unless you know who did it, it's not going to be a good day for you. The world just needs to know who did it. And they're not going to know who did it 
by you condemning them. They're going to know, the Bible says, they will know me by the love you have for one another. How much love for one another is going on out there right now? There's so much division. No wonder the world's going to hell in a basket. We need to get out there and love people, all people, just like God did. Just like our Father did. Amen? One mind. Whew. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's who we are. Because Christ became sin for me, I got his righteousness. Did I deserve it? No. Did he deserve my sin? It's a divine exchange. Amen? So Christ became my, my mercy seat. That's where God meets with me. God meets with you at the finished work of Jesus. Amen? It's beautiful. Right? So what happens when you lift up the mercy seat? It's only happened twice. Right? One time was at the end of Indiana Jones. Another time is actually in the Bible. <laughs> Y'all want to see it? Come back next Sunday. To be continued. 1 Samuel 6, 19. Now these people were coming back because the ark was coming back. And these Israelites were like, yeah, man, that's awesome. I, it's coming back and, 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 and we can't believe it's back. It's been gone for so long. And here it is, right? And they get all excited. And, and this is what happens. They, they, then he struck, God struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark. They looked in it. They opened the lid. And God struck them dead. You're like, that doesn't sound like a loving God. It's in here, right? Literally, it says he struck 50,000, but that's not 50,000 men. That's oxen and stuff. And then 70 men of the people. And the people laminated because, <laughs> lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. Why would God do that? What is the law? It's the ministry of death, Paul calls it. And so when you remove the mercy seat to get the, 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 the book out, the Ten Commandments out, what you're saying is, I don't need the mercy seat. I want to look at the law. I want to be judged by what I do. I don't want to be judged by what I do. I want to be judged by what Jesus did. Right? But that's how important it is. A lot of Christians today are removing the mercy seat, trying to go back to the law and saying, God, judge me based on how I act. I hope none of you ever feel like you want to say that to the Lord. Because just like Exodus 19 is going to be okay, then you go by the law. You go by the law. Because there's only two ways. You can be perfect by going by the law, or you can accept what was paid on the mercy seat on your behalf. Jesus. Easy decision, yeah? Check this out. This is what I was talking about. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you. Anybody want a curse to overtake you? No. That's why I ran through them haunted houses. Knocking over women, children. Judah's like, every man for himself. I'm like, you dang right. I'll see you at the gate when we get out. <laughs> All right. Uh, and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. So if you break one, guess what? A curse will overtake you. 
Just one. How do I know just one? James 2.10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all of it. That's why none of us want to be judged by the law, by what we do. <laughs> because if you break one, and, and then what happens in your mind when you break one? You're like, man, that's it. God doesn't love me no more today. I'm, I can't expect a blessing today. Because I, you know, I, I messed up. Man, that's, do you think, that's condemnation. You're condemning yourself. The Bible says there's now no condemnation for you. But that's what your mind does. It's easy for us to go back to the law. Because in our human nature, we feel like somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's got to earn it. And that somebody is me. Well, you're removing the mercy seat. You're removing the work of Jesus when you do that. This is a counseling session for some people. Amen. I know it. I know it is for me. So don't push away the mercy seat. Don't push it away and try to open it up and go back to the law. It's not a good place to be. Uh, I put that in there. Twice. All right. First John four sixteen. And we and we have known and believe the love that God has for us. It's not enough just to know, church. You got to believe it. You got to believe it. Uh, Kelly can know that I love her, but if she doesn't believe it, that's not a healthy relationship, is it? You got to believe it. There's a story in Luke where Jesus tells this parable. Um, it is a parable, but it, uh, it is a beautiful story that you guys are all well versed in, I'm sure. So let's look at it real quick. So Jesus said, uh, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Uh, back in the day, that would mean that you're literally saying, uh, I wish you were dead. Because it would, it would take the death of a father in order to enact the blessings, right? The, the inheritance. And so the son is basically saying, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me my portion. Are you with me? Sound like a good dude? All right, I'm not condemning because we've all been in spots like that. I know I was, good Lord. All right, uh, so he divided to them his livelihood, right? So he gave not just the, the, the prodigal son his portion, but he also gave the other son his portion too. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there was waste, wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all... There arose a severe famine in, the, in that land, and he began to be in want. Was he remorseful? Thank you. Do you think he was remorseful? No. He began to be in want, right? So don't say he came to his senses. He didn't. All right? He's just like you and me. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. What's wrong with that? Do Jewish people and swine go together? Nope. You'll never see a rabbi eating pork skins. That's why I couldn't be a rabbi, because I love me some barbecue pork skins. So that's the lowest of the low. That's why Jesus is telling this story. Who's he speaking to? Jewish people. Pharisees are listening, right? And he's saying, hey, man, he got thrown. And so they're probably like, can't believe that some of us in here might be used to that right jay you got any pigs anybody got any pigs none of y'all have pigs we're not as country as i thought we were anybody got pork skins at home okay that's close all right 
But when he came to himself, see, there it is, Troy. He came to himself. He repented. He was remorseful. He came to himself. <laughs> he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Now, did he really come to himself, or was he hungry? Yeah, ladies, you know. You, anybody know what hangry is? Yeah, anybody get mad when they, when they start to get hungry? Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't coming back because he was sorry for what he did, is he? He's coming back because he was hungry. He wants to fill his stomach. Um, oh, I, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of your hired servants. In other words, make me earn my way back in. Are you with me? Make me work for it. And this is, a, this is why Jesus is telling this, because there are some people, like the Pharisees, like religious people, and there's some lost people that think they have to earn their way into God's good graces. And that's simply not true. There's nothing you can do except confess Jesus. But that's too easy. <laughs> That's how God wanted it to be. He wanted you to see. It's simple. Religion jacks it up. They make you take a 12-week class. You come. You're all free. You're like crying because you've got this relief. All the stress is gone. You're just giving your life to the Lord. And we're like, man, Jesus is so good. And everybody's clapping. Jesus is so good. They just saved this brother. And, and, and he's feeling all this greatness. And then what we do as, as churches sometimes is we're like, okay, now that you met Jesus, I'm going to introduce you to Moses. So Jesus, you got to go to the bathroom or something? You got to go get something to eat? Moses, come over here and teach them how to act. Teach them how to live. They literally removed the mercy seat. And we should just let them stay right there because their freedom is found in Christ, not in the law. There's no life in the law. It's the ministry of death. It's the ministry of condemnation. That's what the Bible calls it. Whenever you try to keep the thou shalt not, you're going to fail. And then when you fail, the devil knows that you're going to condemn yourself. And spiritually speaking, that's a spiritual death. Because you have no life in you. Because you're always worried about failing. God didn't send Jesus so you could walk around on eggshells all the time. If, you were, if, you're, if you're married and you had to walk on eggshells around your spouse, would that be a great relationship? No. Kelly wouldn't do it. She's from Fort White. I'd be, I'd be in this box. She knows people. <laughs> so here's a question. A little quiz time for you. Right? A little simple yes or no. When the son was gone, did the father love him? Yes. When the son was depressed, did the father love him? He knew that, right? When the son fell into social disfavor, uh, I don't know if I spelled it right, did the, did the father love him? Like nobody wanted to be around him, right? But did the father love him? Father loved him. Father always loved him. Because we're going to see in the rest of the story. Here's the thing, though. So the fact that God loves you does not change your life unless you believe it. That son didn't believe his father loved him. That's why he was in poverty. That's why he was hungry. That's why he was sleeping with the pigs. Because he, he knew his father loved him, but he didn't believe that his father loved him. The whole time, he could have been home. 
The whole time, the father says, everything I own was already yours. All you have to do is ask for it. The father loves you, loves you. But if you don't believe it, church, it's not going to change your life. It's one thing to know that God loves you. And say, God is love. God loves you. And everybody say, amen. But man, you got to believe it. You got to believe with everything in you that the father loves you. And you, and you think about it in terms of marriages. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? You don't want to be married to someone that you know loves you, but you, you don't feel it. You don't believe it. That's not a good place to be, is it? All right. Has the father forgiven the son? Yeah. The father's already forgiven him. We see that in the rest of the story. Was the son still in poverty? Yeah. Why? Because he didn't believe it. He didn't believe it. You know how I know that? Because he was trying to find food. He was trying to work for food. And he even said, Father, let me earn it. Let me work my way back in. But the father killed a fatted calf without him having to do anything. The father always loved him. But he didn't believe it. So let's finish it up. And, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And had compassion on a son who basically wished he was dead. He had compassion. He was always looking for him, man. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Fell on his neck and kissed him. Before the son could even get out the speech that he had. Father, forgive me. I sinned before you in heaven. Make me work for it. Remember that? Uh, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. Here it is. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father cuts him off. He doesn't get to say, make me work, work for it. He doesn't say, uh, make me like one of your hired servants. You know why? You can't buy God's grace. You can't work for God's grace. The father cuts him off from saying that. He's, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Sandals on his feet. That's a picture of grace. In the old covenant, when Moses was at the, the burning bush, God told him to take his, his sandals off because he was on holy ground. But in the new covenant, God says, put sandals on his feet. He's supplying now. That's who he is. Woo! All right, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. He was hungry. He came back because he was hungry. But what did that love do? He got shown love, unconditional love. Did he deserve the father's love? No, he didn't deserve the father's love. But the father lavishly gave it to him, everything, a robe, sandals. He, he killed the, the fatted calf. And he said, let's eat and be merry. For this, what is my son? For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now, if it's, it's one thing to know your father loves you. It's a whole nother ball game when you truly believe it. When you believe that he's going to provide for you. Some people come back to church because they want something. Amen? Something's going on in their life. They, they've gotten in trouble. I, I, I've counseled people where when they come in, and this is no, don't, don't think I'm talking about y'all. But when they come in, it's like every six months or something. And, and they come in and then they want me to pray with them because something happened. I get that. I used to do that. 
I used to do. I get it. But man, it, it, that's because you know God loves you and you and you want and you're hoping that you can get something when you come. But I'm telling you, he loves you even when you're out there and you're failing. And if you believe it, you will come back, not because you you're, you're looking for something, but because you have a revelation of how he loves you right where you are. He will always take care of you. He's your shepherd. The Bible says you shall not lack. Nothing will come near you. A thousand may fall at your right uh, side, 10,000 at your right side, and, 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 but it shall not come near who? You. That's what the Bible says. Either it's true or it's not. We can walk in that or we can walk based on, hey, Maybe I don't deserve this. Maybe this won't happen to me because I know I've sinned. Satan wants to remind you of your sin. You remind him of your Savior. You are qualified in Christ. You're not trying to be saved. It's you, Christ has saved you simply by you speaking his name out and believing that he's alive today. There's nothing you can do, church, to earn your way into God's favor. The only way to get that is through accepting the blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That's it. And you can live free. Do I look like I'm bound? I'm ready to jump up out of here. Amen? Y'all like, we are too, so can you wrap it up? Yep. Sure can. Last verse, Ephesians 1-7. These last two are not in your bulletin, by the way. It says, in him, in him, who? Jesus. We are trying to get redemption. Is that what it says? Because that's how we read it sometimes. If your Bible says that, take it back to the Dollar General store. Well, we call it the Rick James version. <laughs> you need to take that Rick James version back. Good God. Hey! Y'all remember Rick James? Paul, you remember Rick James? Nobody else does? Bob? <laughs> oh, I used to like me some Rick. Tricky Ricky. Alright, uh, oh, can we get back to scripture, people? In him we have. Say I have it. I have redemption. You have redemption. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back by the blood of Jesus. It's by his blood. It's through his blood. That's it. This law, this trying to keep the law, trying to do the right thing all the time, you'll never have redemption. You'll always be working. But when you understand what was done for you, you have it already. You're not trying to be uh, to, to, to earn God's favor. You have it. You possess it. Say, I have it. Through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way to get it. Oh, oh that's not it. That's not it. The forgiveness of sins. What happens when you put a s on the end of a word? That government, that word becomes a plural. You know what that means? That means all your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. Because I'm telling you, you weren't around when Christ died on the cross, but yet it says that we have, because of the cross, we have forgiveness of sins. Don't let people say you got to confess all your sins right now. you got, you got to do it. Because if there's one left and you didn't do it, you break one, you break them all, if there's one left and you didn't confess it, you will go to hell still. That is a lie from hell. I remember going at night. How many of you guys were told you got, you got to remember all your sins and get them out and confess in case you die during the night? So, so, so when you're like eight, you're like, now nah, I lay me down to sleep. 
I pray to the Lord, Masot Kipa. And you start trying to say it like the pastors on TV. You're like, protect me, protect me. But you're in fear. That didn't give us a spirit of fear. Man, if, if you've got sin in you, you it, we all sin. But let me tell you something. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. Like the, the, they don't see sin anymore. They see the blood. That's how God sees us. That's one thing God's eyes can't see through. To get to that law, that is the blood of his son, Jesus. Once you're covered by the blood of Jesus, it, you, you're still going to sin. You're still going to mess up. But that's when God says, hey, let's go. Get back up. Don't condemn yourself because we got some stuff to do. But if you condemn yourself, you check yourself out. You feel like God can't use you anymore. And that's a lie. God can use you. Look at this. Like, really, look. I need a fan. <laughs> Can we get back to Scripture? This is it. We're almost done. Is it? Now, look. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to our confession of sins. Because that's how I was taught growing up. That God will forgive you if you confess it. If you don't confess your sin, God won't forgive you. So that's why when you die, there may be a sin that you didn't confess, that you forgot about. Can you imagine living life that way? At the end of the night, instead of thanking God for a beautiful day, for getting you home safely, for protecting you, providing for you, in your mind, you're, 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 you're in fear thinking, what if I didn't confess one sin? And now your mind is focused on what? Trying to remember all the sins. Does God want you to remember all the sins you did? Or does he want you to remember your Savior? It's, it's Jesus. That's it, right? And, and we're according to the riches of his grace. Not according to the poverty of God's grace. The riches of God's grace. Amen? That's what we have to remember, church. We are no longer under the law. We are under grace. And the Bible says, sin shall not have dominion in your life. How? How? How, Troy? How can sin not have power in my life? When you remember that you're not under law, performance-based, but under grace. And that's God giving you something you don't deserve. And his name is Jesus. Are you happy, church? I preach myself happy. Can you tell? If that, if that lid wasn't a half an inch, I would stand on it right now and jump and do a crowd surf. Maybe more this way. If I jump on Grace, she's going to be like. <laughs> hey, will you guys stand up with me and just give Jesus a hand? Give Jesus a hand. Give him the glory for, for who he is, what he's done. Amen. He's done all this for you. All this was for you. God didn't have to do it. But the Bible says he loved the world. He didn't just love the church. He loved the world. We saw earlier. He, he didn't just forgive the church. The sins, sin is paid for. Hebrews chapter 9 says all sin is paid for. And, 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 and these people that don't know Jesus, it's, they don't go to hell because they have sin. They go to hell because they don't know Jesus. They don't know the payment. And that's why we got to get out there and, 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 and share the good news with them. Don't go out there and condemn people. Don't go out there and say, hey, man, you need to get your life right. You need to get your life right. Get your life right before you come. Get right before you come. Anybody hear that? And who can do that? Nobody can get right before they come. You got to come 
even though you're not right. You know why? That's faith. Faith says, hey, I'm going to go down there and get something I don't deserve because I know what I've done. But I'm going to go down there and trust it anyway. It, yeah, it. I don't know what is going to happen. You don't have to know everything about Jesus. You just have to know he loves you and he died for you. And that's it. And the Lord will just, he'll, he'll reveal everything else to you in time. But all you need to know is that Jesus loves you. You need to know that he died for you. And, and the only way, the only way you can experience life, and I'm not talking about, most pastors will say, hey, the only way you can get to heaven, right? I'm talking about the only way you can have life right here on this earth and have it more abundantly and have eternal life in heaven is by understanding what Christ has done for us. That we're not under law. You're not judged based on performance. You're judged based on his blood. And it's not just a little bit. It's according to the riches of God's grace. I bet I could lift this up over my head right now. Y'all want to see? All right. Bow your heads with me and we'll get out. <laughs> God is so good, amen? Say, God loves me. Say, I know God loves me. And I believe God loves me. I believe God is for me. He's my father. He's my Abba. And he is for me. He's given me all things that pertain to my life. He goes before me. He makes my path straight. He prospers my path. I'm completely forgiven. My sin paid for. Whew. Guys, you're speaking truth out now. And can you, honestly, can you feel the difference? Maybe when you walk in, you don't have hope. But when you walk out, you have hope. You know why? It's not because you heard me. It's because you heard the words of God coming through me. And you understand what Jesus did. You, have, you had an encounter with Jesus today. And that's why you're changed. That's why you have hope. A confident expectation of good. Are you ready to pray and just thank him for this morning? Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you have given us all life, that you revealed Jesus in, in all these scriptures that we read. Even in the, in, the, in the Ark of the Covenant, we just see Jesus. Your heart has always been about your son. Your son is the only one that can redeem us from our, our sin, to take away the curse and give us hope, give us life. So, Father, I thank you for the people that you brought here for this appointed time. Father, to hear this word of encouragement. And God, just even right now, there's people that, are, that have heard this maybe for the first time. God, bless them with clarity, with knowledge. Thank you for not letting the enemy get in their head. Thank you for not letting them get in their head. Reminding them that there's no condemnation for them in Christ. And Father, thank you for, for giving people hope for tomorrow whether it be marriages, financial issues that are going on, health issues going on. Father, you are still the same. You're still for them. You've prospered their way. You've made their path straight. Father, thank you for teaching your sheep how to know, not just know, but to believe with all they have that you love them. You love them. What a wonderful Savior. Thank you for freeing us to be able to have life more abundantly right here on this earth. 
Father, we look forward with great expectation of good coming our way to a wonderful, wonderful, peaceful, relaxing day. Father, bless them in their going as you bless them in their coming. In Jesus' name, let the church say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You are dismissed.